Okay, so um, I'll start off. So if I ask Jamie first, and then if you answer afterwards, Phil, if that's okay. Um, so I'll start off with the question I always start off with, which is what did you want to be when you grew up? Mm, um, <laughs> I wanted to be the lead singer of a metal band. I was uh, in a metal band when I was uh, when I was like 15, 16. I was like, this is amazing. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, but then kind of got into more into the tech side of things yeah. and I like, started hanging around with like the sound engineer and that yeah. kind of thing and was like actually this is really cool and I'm better at this than it ever was at that um, so that's kind of how I got into what I do now Okay and Phil what did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah I love this question it was quite good fun thinking back actually to my to my childhood so there was two things that really jump out um, I was really lucky as a kid to go on holiday to Florida um, and we went to the Kennedy Space Center and I, I was just blown away. But all, all things NASA, so very much wanted to be an astronaut. Mm. Um, yeah, my mum always said I always had my head in the, in the clouds. So uh, <laughs> quite, quite literally wanted to blast off into space. But um, I was also completely and utterly obsessed with Lego as a yeah. kid. Uh, loved it, played with it all day, every day. Uh, and my, my absolute dream job was to be a Lego designer and go work at Neither of those two things have turned out, but uh, quite happy with what I'm doing now. <laughs> Leeds, 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 what is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, a show about a place called Leeds, a time called now, and an activity called work. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. We kick off Series 3 of Working Hours with this special bonus episode where I speak to Sale. This was the first time I have recorded two guests at the same time. This is another Zoom interview recorded on the 7th of January, 2022. So if you want to hear a big, long, rambling intro from me, then go and listen to episode 28, which has also dropped today, if you haven't already done so. This time, though, we're going to get into the interview much sooner. Just before it starts, a note about quality. There's a few moments in here where the call drops. They aren't long and aren't too often, so please be patient with this one in parts. I felt every second of those moments on the record, but as I'm getting more professional with this now, I just pushed those feelings deep down and carried on. Formed in 2018, Sustainable Arts in Leeds, SAIL, is a not-for-profit membership network of organisations and individuals in the creative and cultural sector who have come together to take action on the climate emergency. Philip Holdgate is Head of Production Sustainability for ITV Studios. Phil is the co-founder of Sustainable Arts in Leeds, SAIL. He is a Yorkshire and Humber Climate Commissioner and a self-proclaimed stubborn optimist. Jamie Say is the Technical Manager of the Howard Assembly Room in Leeds. Jamie's day-to-day -day role is making sure every event that comes through the venue is appropriately staffed, technically fulfilled and on budget. As well as looking after the Howard Assembly Room, Jamie is the other co-founder of Sustainable Arts in Leeds alongside Phil. So let's get into this then. So what is it that you do now? So I'll start with you, Phil, and then I'll come back to Jamie. Sure. Yeah. So I've, uh, I guess I've got two two jobs in inverted commas. One of them actually pays me to do what I do, uh, and the other <laughs> one's uh, very much a passion project. So my my day job um, is with ITV Studios, mm -hmm. uh, which is the production part of ITV that makes all of the, the TV shows. Um, and my role is head of production sustainability. So it's my job to make sure that all of our productions um, are made in the most sustainable way possible. And that's aligned with uh, ITV's overarching net zero strategy to become a net zero business by 2030. Uh, it's a global role. So we, we operate in 13 different countries. So it's a really global role, but it's um, basically out of my, uh, currently out of my bedroom in, in Leeds. But <laughs> my role is based in Leeds. And I, I'm really proud of that, that it's it's local and it's not gone 
uh, sort of central to London. Um, yeah. So yeah, really chuffed with that. Um, and then to complement that, I, I, I've been involved in sustainability for a while with TV and production. And um, I'll, we'll probably come on to this later on, but uh, I'm one of the co-founders of Sustainable Arts in Leeds, or SEOR for short, uh, which I co-founded with Jamie. Um, and it, it's essentially a, a, a network of organizations in the creative and cultural sector of Leeds who are, we want to bring everyone together basically and, and share those experiences and accelerate people to, uh, and organizations to become sustainable. Hmm. Um, okay, so same question to you, Jamie, what is it that you're doing now? Um, so I work for Opera North as a technical manager of the Howard Assembly Room. Um, so that's a 350 capacity multi-art space in the centre of Leeds um, in a grade two listed building, which is, you know, it's absolutely gorgeous. So we do lots of um, like jazz, world music, folk. We also do like little opera productions, theatre productions, dance, talk, film, um, all kinds of stuff. Um, so it's kind of my job to make sure that every event that comes through happens, <laughs> which um, at the moment is quite tricky. Um, so that's kind of my, uh, yeah, my day job. Mm. And then my other kind of, yeah, passion project, as Phil said, is to work alongside Phil on sale, um, and try and unite the creative and cultural industries of Leeds to, uh, tackle climate change together. So it's quite a broad remit. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I mean, I said, I basically, you know, here's my usual format, but so there would normally be questions about climate change within you know, as we go through towards the end. So, but because of what you guys are doing, I think we should probably talk about that first. So either one of you, I don't know which way around you want to do this, but if you could just sort of tell us how you got together and how sale came about. Do you want to do it, Phil? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kickstart. Um, we, it's, it's not the first time we've done this side, but <laughs> we'll try and bounce off each other a little bit. Um, it, it, is my audio okay, by the way? Cause I'm, it's saying that my connection's a bit unstable. Yeah, it, it it's been a bit patchy, but it's it's okay. I can hear you. Um, give me two secs. I can try and switch. Um, I've got two routers. I can try and switch to the other one, okay. but I might disappear for a couple of minutes. It's up to you. If it's okay, we no, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Carry on, but you know. Okay, great. So, um, how, how sale came about, uh, quite, quite by chance actually is the, is the short answer, um, slightly to embellish on that slightly, uh, we were, Jamie and I were both at a Leeds climate commission, uh, networking event. Mm. Um, I'd done a, a short video about what the Emmerdale production team were doing to reduce their footprint. Um, and, uh, we, we carried on chatting after, a, a networking event, um, that was, uh, sort of over a glass of wine and a, it was a nice lemon cheesecake, I think, wasn't it, Jamie? <laughs> uh, that was, they were serving at the time and we, we just got chatting and we had a lot of commonality, mm. um, you know, with TV and with, uh, with opera and theater in particular. So, uh, Jamie and I were particularly talking about lighting. I was involved in a, a low energy lighting project for, mm. uh, one of our studios at the time. And Jamie was really interested in lighting with his technical remit up for North as well. Um, but the more we spoke and we kept in touch, we kept chatting and the more we spoke, the more, um, obvious it was that there was a lot to talk about, uh, as a, as a crossover between the two parts of the sector. So, um, you know, I was working in studios, um, but, uh, Jamie was on a, on a stage, uh, but we still had costumes, we still had lighting, we still had props and sets and everything like that. So the same, really the same challenges that were being presented from a, a, a sustainability angle. Mm. Um, and it was 
quite by chance where I was having a, a separate conversation uh, with my line manager uh, about how great it was. And it was really interesting how Opera North were having the same struggles that ITV were having. And it was something that stuck with me that Jamie had been speaking to a group over in Manchester who were called MAST, the Manchester Art Sustainability Team, mm. um, who'd been around for a little while. I had a colleague at ITV who was also part of that group. I, we were aware of them and what they were trying to, uh, to yeah. do over there, doing a great job. And I was having a bit of a moan at the coffee machine to my boss saying, oh, it's such a shame there's nothing like that in Leeds. And he just turned around quite flippantly and said, well, we'll go and set something up then. <laughs> and walked off and, and that was it that was it really a light bulb went off a low energy light bulb went off uh, in my mind and i got back in touch with with jamie and said you know what what about it should we see if uh you know some of our contacts that we already know in leeds would be interested mm. and uh and and it's really grown from there hasn't it jamie yeah it's been amazing like it, the amount of um it like it really chimed with people and i think it's one of the it sort of things with climate change, it seems like this big kind of untangible beast that you're like, how on earth am I going to tackle this? What on earth can I do? And that kind of grounding it within a city and grounding it within a sector and going, well, you know, you can't, you can't change the world, but you can change this bit. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that's been really powerful to be able to kind of, you know, speak to people who are very much in similar positions to us working in craven cultural organizations and going, well, you know, these are things that you can do to, to tackle this. I think that that's been really powerful, especially with like, we've been, um, delivering a lot of stuff called carbon literacy training. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you know about this, but to give a bit of background, the, uh, the carbon literacy project started in Manchester, uh, back in 2008, I think it was, mm. um, and their idea is to, d to basically give people a bit of grounding in kind of, um, how, what can you realistically do to tackle the climate emergency? Like what, what is it that you can do as an individual? So, uh, part of what, one of the first things that we did as part of sale is to develop a carbon literacy training course, which we then delivered for free, like mm -hmm. to creative and cultural organizations in the city. Uh, that's been, that's been amazing, hasn't it, Phil? I can't remember how many people are we trading? Um, yeah, I think we've just tipped through the 300 mark, which, you know, for a, a sector in one city, it's, I, I'm really proud of that. I think that's a really good thing. Uh, and as Jamie says, it, it, it really, the, the whole purpose behind the training is to help people feel a bit more empowered, um, yeah. and a bit less, um, at sea with, with what's a really quite complex technical problem that we're facing on a global scale. So I think people can feel quite, um, almost not, not disengaged, but, um, almost a bit scared to even know where to start. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, I'm really proud that we could offer that. I did it myself when, uh, through, through ITV and that's really how I got interested in sustainability in the first place. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I was really pleased and really proud that we've been able to do that. Cool. Um, I mean, it is surprising even to me, like I, I when I was in Leeds before I went away traveling and stuff, I, uh, worked at the playoffs for a couple of years and so I know some of the the theatre scene in Leeds but I had no idea how many companies and like there's so much going on and I still don't feel like I I know that I, I still know that there's loads of people out there they're different groups and organizations and stuff that are doing things so um are you just reaching out to people that you already know and building connections that way or how how are you sort of making contact with people do they come to you um beyond the carbon literacy training what what else can you offer them 
Yeah, I'll, I'll sort of kick that one off if that's all right. So um, I, originally when we first having the idea of creating some kind of network, we reached out to contacts that we already knew um, and it, it grew really quickly and really organically. So there's the, it, it gave us quite a lot of hope that there was a lot of appetite to, to know more and to be able to do something about climate change and, and the climate emergency. I just think it was perfect timing. It, yeah. it, it was at a point where... Um, I think general um, awareness of of what was going on had reached a tipping point where you know it wasn't when I first started about eight or nine years ago it was almost you were having to convince people that climate change was actually a thing. Mm. There was still a lot of climate deniers. Some of the mainstream media were, were really unhelpful with that as well mm. and slowing down progress. Whereas I think we got to well about 2018, 2019, and it was just a, a, an ideal time for something like sale to come about because people were starting to get a general awareness of, of actually there's this really problem just around the corner and we're able to be doing something about it now. Um, and here's a, here's a forum and here potentially is a, a, a help with finding some of the solutions as well. Um, and I think word of mouth spread really quickly, didn't it, Jamie, um, where we had um, people approaching us, we had people putting was in touch with other people and it's just grown from there. I think we have uh, sort of 80 plus organizations signed up as members now. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm the same as you, Simon. I was like, oh my goodness, I, I had no idea the scale of the, the culture scene in Leeds. It's, yeah. it's really impressive and, yeah. and it's something that the city should be really proud of. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting as well with both of you guys, like with Jamie coming from sort of, I mean, it's commercial theater, but it's part of the, your you're based in the grand, so I assume you get some subsidy. Um, yeah, yeah. And then ITV is like totally commercial. So you you've kind of covered both sides of of that of, of the art scene in the UK, I suppose. Um, so that's I, I mean, it's kind of kismet that you you're both you know you're coming from both those sides and having that meeting. So is there anything? I mean, do you have to treat those different sectors of the creative sector? differently in how you approach the sustainability element yeah to an extent i think i think there's a lot of commonality and that that's really where sale came from i mm. mean it was that it was literally that conversation between two two different organizations or two passionate people within different organizations mm. but when you strip it all back and take the details away from it, it was you know we're still trying to achieve very or find very similar solutions to very similar problems mm. and that's really where where that that sort of um acorn for the idea really came from um but yeah i think now that we're getting into some of the nitty-gritty and the detail at, at real sort of local grassroots level then um we do need slightly different approaches to, to, to different organizations because they've just got different requirements and that could be how they operate it could be a, a, just a, a question of scale um or what they're what they're trying to achieve so is it is it a place-based organization or is it an event that's just a, a one-off for example or is it um you know local very, very small charity that, that's doing something with performing arts. It, they need slightly different approaches, but also they can be part of this much bigger movement. I think that's where some mm. of the really positive stuff from sale can come from um, because we can share. So yeah, I might find something when I'm talking to colleagues in Sweden, for example, there was this, um, there's this new um, way of building sets out of a composite cardboard material. And that's actually made in Sweden. And, and my colleagues over in ITV had heard of it. Um, and now I've got um, myself and Jamie are going to go to a, a place over in Stockport that are, are building sets out of it. So it, it's quite it's quite funny how uh, 
you know, we can take lots of inspiration from, um, from different parts of, certainly from my role and from Jamie's role, because we've got different skill sets as well. Um, we've, we've been described, in fact, we've probably called ourselves this a few times, but we've had a bit of a bromance that, that, um, where we just bounced off each other, but in a really complimentary way. Um, and, and it's great. I don't know what you think, Jamie, but I've always found it really useful. You know, I've got much more of a corporate commercial angle at times, and, and Jamie's very much uh, of a, a much better understanding of what it's like from being more of a centrally funded arts organization. So it, it's quite a good, uh, quite a nice blend, I feel. Mm. It's interesting that the, the funding, like the, from the funding aspect, like some of the levers are kind of the, it's the same in a way, like with, with us being a, like an arts council funded organization, like the arts council, they've, they've been very soft touch in the way that they've approached sustainability, um, which has been really effective. They haven't, you know, set like hard and fast targets and saying mm. you as an organization must be net zero carbon by 2030 or whatever. A lot of organizations within like the national portfolio, they, they have set those targets, but it hasn't been like an arts council directive, but it has been, I guess, from, from the arts council perspective, this is public money. Mm. And I think sustainability in some, in, in quite a lot of ways is about reducing wastage and reducing kind of your consumption. So. For example, you know, energy prices at the moment are, you know, astronomical. <laughs> They're absolutely astronomical. Part of one thing you can reduce, do to reduce your carbon footprint is to reduce the amount of electricity and gas that you're using to light and heat your buildings. Mm -hmm. If we as arts organizations are doing that, then that's less money that, well, we're spending therefore less money on overheads, which means we are spending more money on our kind of art practice, mm. which is what the Arts Council are funding us for. Mm. So. It's interesting. I, I don't know what it's like from a kind of commercial perspective, but I imagine there's a very kind of similar, similar ethos there, is there? Yeah, I guess, um, I, I guess I think the main difference for me is we've got a different set of stakeholders. So you were talking about city analysts and shareholders and, mm. uh, uh, a management board, you've got a really, um, sort of, and, and customers as well, you know, our viewers more and more so are expecting different things from, from commercial broadcasters like ITV. Um, but I, I think there's, there's some really intrinsic differences between how the two organizations operate. But like I say, from a sustainability perspective, I always come back to the fact that we've just got so much in common. Uh, and so to be able to share, uh, those best practices, share some of the solutions, the thinking, because nobody's ever done, nobody's ever tried to operate a net zero business previously, mm -hmm. um, up, up until recently. So. Um, it's every day feels like a school day. So any, any help yeah. you can get is always gratefully received. Yeah. And there's some fantastic people out there working on amazing and really what I find overwhelming at times is just how open people are to sharing. Um, and, and that can be competitors as well. So, you know, I, I speak to channel four, BBC Sky all the time. Um, I know, I know Jamie has a lot of conversations with other people in, in his part of the sector as well. So, um, I just think it's. A, an absolute joy at times when you can feel a little bit disengaged with the whole thing at times because it's a bit overwhelming and uh you know you've got this 2030 deadline looming um it can be quite terrifying and uh it, it's really really helpful to know that other people are in the same boat and going through the same processes and, and are happy to share yeah and the fact that you're being proactive as well you know it's not just something that's there in the background that's worrying you it's something that you're actively working on so it gives you a sense of control to be doing something 
yeah, it's sometimes hard to kind of keep that motivation there. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's times like last year when, you know, it was the, it was again, smashing heat records and stuff. And I just remember in the summer just being like, what, what am I doing? <laughs> but then, you know, you've got to, you've got to focus on the things that you can control and do whatever you can. And if everybody gave up, then, you know, we're, we're already stuffed. So yeah. I think I think as well. That's uh, that's where the sort of creative and cultural sector has has an absolute unique part to play in, in the climate emergency. It's not we don't have a huge footprint as a sector, um, and a lot of the solutions that we need are kind of there. Mm-hmm. So we just need to find find ways, basically find ways to fund it and pay for it, um, uh, and 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 remove some of those barriers. But um, sort of carbon emissions reductions and, and waste reductions aside. The part that the creative and cultural sector really has to play is is communicating to, yeah. to the public to, and inspiring people and, and making people be aware of problems and the solutions and what they can do to help and and some of those potentially quite big societal shifts that we're going to need if, we, if we've got a fighting chance of keeping global warming down to sort of 1.5 degrees. So, um, yeah, it's something we've started to talk about quite a lot more uh, through sale. Um, how we do that, I'm not sure. I don't think anyone's quite cracked it fully yet, but um, the conversations are happening. And, uh, you know, I think we've got a unique opportunity in the city with Leeds 2023 as well. Uh, I know they're, they're huge climate advocates. They've, they've baked into their... Uh, sort of mission to make sure that uh, everything they do um, sort of from a, a public facing perspective, but also from an operational perspective is as sustainable as possible and, and aligned with, uh, with certainly what, what sale they're trying to do as well, which is really exciting, I think. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, it, I think it's an exciting organization and it's, uh, it, it's good to be working in an area where you're, I, I mean, and it, it's nice that you can both, come into sale from areas where you're doing that kind of work already. Um, what am I trying to say here? So, um, yeah, it'd be maybe perhaps, well, I I mean, I put this to you, Phil, because you worked in state sustainability previously before this, I mean, was that just an uphill struggle or did you get quite a lot of support within the organization? Uh, no, it's it's been a, it's been an uphill struggle. Absolutely. It's been (laughs) quite frustrating at times. I've only been full-time working in sustainability with ITV for the past year. Um, and that's because our management board signed off on that zero target. So mm. they needed someone to come in and deliver it. I've been doing it unofficially for, for several years prior to that, but only in our UK production team. So, mm. um, yeah, before that I was managing, um, I'm, I'm kind of on my third career with ITV. Now I started off as a trainee production accountant and worked more through production finance career and then got into subject management um, and it was through both of those two previous career paths where i actually got interested and then started to do stuff around sustainability but at quite a small level and it's just it just grown and grown and grown and grown from there mm-hmm. um so it was absolutely an uphill battle because we didn't have i didn't have the time to dedicate uh myself to to being able to really focus on you know, finding finding solutions, getting systems in place, making sure we're collecting the right data, yeah. uh, communicating and engaging with people as well, so that they're aware of what what they should be doing and can be doing differently. Mm. Um, but then also getting that that top level management buy in as well. I think that's that's been the big tipping point that I've seen um, over the past, probably even that's just the past eighteen months. It's been really significant, mm. um, and I now feel like 
it's that perfect blend of you've got top-down management support, you've got dedicated resource, and you've that bottom-up groundswell of interest from colleagues who really want to do something they're really passionate about it. So we're starting to really bake it into um, the the sort of the, the culture of the business. And yeah. there's so much that I can take from that and bring it to sale and, and share. Mm. Um, and like I say, we, you then speak to others who are doing some other great stuff, really, really similar. Mm. And it either bolsters your thinking and really strengthens what you're trying to do or actually gives you a completely different angle. Mm. Um, and you can use that experience and, and uh, sort of replicate it and share it, mm. which is which is really, uh, I, I find it really inspiring. It's great. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. There's been a very kind of similar sort of approach within within Opera North, like in that kind of, you know, the groundswell of support meeting kind of, you know, the senior management pushing pushing down as well. Like originally when, when Opera North first started sort of taking action, it was because the Arts Council changed their kind of funding principles and they were, at that time, they weren't as overt as they are now. Like when they first started, they were like, you know, you as a large arts organization who are in sea of arts, receipt of arts council funding need to report on your carbon footprint. Yeah. That's kind of all they said. Um, and then we, as a company, were like, well, we're not really doing this. We're not really taking it seriously. So the senior management team decided, well, we're going to, we're going to put it to the staff and we're going to create a green team. Um, and then it'll be like a staff, staff action group from all different parts of the organization and we'll kind of task it to them essentially. Um, so they did, did that, um, like I put myself forward as like the kind of the chair of this green team and started pushing for trying to make the company more sustainable. Um, and again, one of the things that I did with that is again, the carbon literacy training. So, um, de delivered carbon literacy training to all of the staff within Opera and also with all 250 of us, like senior management, like all the orchestra chorus, like all the technical team, everybody's had it. No one yeah. is safe. <laughs> but the, the really cool thing with that though, was that it made a lot of the kind of the conversations around sustainability so much easier to have. Yeah. And there was so much less pushback every time that you're like, well, that's not really the right way of doing this, is it? And then you're like, actually, no, it's not. <laughs> so, I mean, there was a really good example. Uh, we're in a company meeting yesterday and we're talking about doing like daily lateral flow tests. Mm. And then somebody said, oh, it, like, oh, did you know you can recycle them? I was like, what? I didn't know that. <laughs> and it was really cool to like, so, and that was straight to the general director. And then the next day it was implemented. I'm like, God, that is so good that it's not just me, like, you know, banging the drum, it's the entire company and they come up with things that I, I wasn't aware of it. And I think that's amazing. Mm. Well, that, I, I think that is a huge, huge part of it in that, you know, it's that thing of like to fix everything we need everyone. And it's those, you know, a lot of the time with climate stuff, you can kind of, you read all the information and then you're like, oh, what should I do? And it's like. I have to give up plastic and I have to stop eating meat and stop flying and not go anywhere and sit in a dark room and you know, you kind of like, oh, you spend all your time thinking, oh, that's a waste there. That's a waste there. But if other people are thinking about it as well, those other ideas come in, people suggest things, you know, it, it just ferments more ideas, more thoughts in that direction. So it's yeah. just like you say, leading the awareness is then more people get on board, more people contribute things. And then as more people do things, it just would start to build momentum is the idea and the hope, I suppose. <laughs> so, um, what plans do you have for sale for this year? I, is it more outreach to new organizations? Do you have a whole new raft of training? Like what, what are you going to do this year as sale? 
there's so much exciting stuff that we can't really talk about, which is such a shame. Can we come out in six months' time, guys? <laughs> yeah, we're 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 speaking. We're, we're talking to the council at the minute about how we can. Because obviously, they they support many many organisations and events, and they've got their own venue. So we're talking to them about um, you know how we can work a bit more closely together. Um, we're also speaking to Arts Council England because um, I mentioned MAST previously, but the, there are other groups in other cities that are popping up quite organically already. So there's uh, there's a group called Shift over in Liverpool. There's a group in Oxfordshire. There's one in South Yorkshire. You know, there's, uh, there's these networks that are starting to grow all over the place. And, mm. you know, it's taken sale uh, over three years to get to this point. So, you know, we're a community interest company we're registered on company's house we've got a bank account we've got a brand we've got social media channels we've got a membership etc that's taken quite a lot of time to get there yeah. and we've had to basically figure it out as we go along um and i'll be proud of where we've got to but when you see people thinking about starting these new networks so if, if it's going to take them three years we're, you know a bit 2025 so one thing we are talking about is how we can Help accelerate some of the some of yeah. this growth in, in different areas. Not for us to run it, but to support people get up and running, um, and and accelerate progress. That's that's really why I, uh, my mindset is at the minute. How can we do things faster, and how can we help other people do things faster as well, mm. um, and do it in the shortest amount of time possible? So we we've had really positive conversations with Arts Council England. They they get it. They understand how you know grassroots local level type networks could be really influential combined with national policy as well. Um, and, and uh, you know, we're, we're hoping to do um, a little bit of um, organizational development work in the first quarter. Uh, we'll always continue to do the training, I think it's fair to say, isn't it, Jamie? Um, we, we, we've been big advocates of that from the outset. Um, and yeah, as of, as of, I think it was September last year, we took on our first employee. Uh, we're hoping to grow the business um, uh, even though it's a not-for-profit, we're always looking for new income streams. So yeah. lots and lots and lots going on, but it's all in our spare time. So uh, yeah. the, the more people that we can get who are dedicated to doing it, I think the faster we'll be able to go. And have I missed anything out there? Not talked about the education sector, have I, Jane, in particular? Yeah, that was, that was the one thing I was going to prompt you on. <laughs> <laughs> go on, I'll let, you, I'll let you pick that one up. Well, um, one of the things that we, we found was that the, there was a lot of... Um, there was a lot of interest from kind of the education sector um, with regards to sustainability as well. Um, so we're talking more about kind of, um, you know, like theatre courses and arts courses and that kind of thing. And, we, you know, the, the next sort of, the next generation of students who are going to be entering into the workforce are going to be entering into this workforce where sustainability is such a kind of key consideration for everything that they're going to have to do. So we were like thinking as, as SAIL, what can we do to kind of prepare you know, new students who are going to be entering into the industry ready for this kind of new world. And also with the, um, with a lot of like the climate strikes and that kind of thing, we're like, well, how can we provide a voice to students, to these arts organizations? Because students, I don't think they're very happy with the way no. that things are going. No. So how can we give them that, that voice as well? And how can we provide that? How can they challenge us on, on what we're doing? So we thought there was, a, there was some sort of like nugget of an idea there. Um, so that's one of the things we've started to explore is like, how can creative and cultural organizations work more closely with the, with the kind of education sector? Yes. Um, and well, do you want to talk about the, um, the first thing we're doing? 
it's it's a really exciting part of our development. There's there's, so, there's absolute wealth of um, of courses that that focus on creative and cultural uh, output, but also there's some fantastic institutions that are dedicated to it. So we've yeah. got the uh, the Northern School of Contemporary Dance, for example. There's the Northern Film School, and there's Leeds Arts University um, is one that we've got coming up soon. And we um, it's the first time we've done it as as sale, but we'll be hosting a, a panel discussion. I'm going to do a, a short taster session for. Uh, several hundred students as well. So we're starting to make inroads already with the education sector, um, but but very much focusing on creative and cultural courses and, and output. Um, but there's, again, loads of commonality there, lots that we can do to help and and inspire students. And like Jamie says, they're, they're the ones that are going to be coming into a workforce. So either they need to know how to operate in, in a net zero organization or they need to be inspired as to how they can be the change makers of the future as well. Yeah. Um, and again, it comes back to that accelerating progress, but just making sure that young people who are coming through the system are empowered and enabled mm. uh, to, to meet the needs of, um, of, of the future. So, I, I mean, some of it to me is it, it's a mindset kind of thing. Um, you know, we're, we're, we kind of developed a mindset of use the thing, throw it away, get the next thing in, you know, like that cyclical consumption. Um, and it's changing that mindset into, well, we can reuse that. We can recover this. We can recycle that. We can, you know, do we have to do that anyway in the first place? And, and all those kind of questions, you know, do we all need a meeting in Hawaii or can we just do it over zoom? So, I, I mean, you're talking a lot about the production side. So what about content? So in terms of programs, plays, the sort of material that's being put on, is there anything that you can do to kind of encourage those stories? Because in a way, what you're doing is you're, you know, you're, you're, you're pathfinding to a degree of like how to be a net zero company, like you say, you're establishing best practice, all the kind of things that you need to do, but other people need that model. So you're kind of developing the model. So is the next thing to kind of try and push into content and make producers and writers of content more aware and to be putting those stories in like what what's your take on that yeah absolutely um i i, I said it previously i touched on it previously anyway simon i think that that's by far the biggest impact that, that our sector can have um and how you do that successfully is uh, a different matter altogether. I think perfectly nice to to have those conversations. Mm. Um, I think from my experience with TV, you've got that operational production type group of people who we focused on from the get go. They're really engaged. There's there's tools and uh, uh, solutions there that they that we're asking them to do. The, the mindset is there, um, but you've got the complete opposite at times in terms of a bit like oil and water where you've got the creative editorial type people and, and the two don't really mix yeah. organically, you know, they just don't, you know, they've got different remits, they've got different day jobs almost. Um, and you don't always get it where the two are talking to each other about the same subject. Mm. So it, it's almost a completely different conversation, even though it's exactly the same subject. So mm. I think and that's just how it's happened over time. Now, whether, whether the challenge is we we need to find a way to merge the two 
things are actually just two conversations that are happening parallel and then eventually we'll end up merging uh, a bit further down the road. I don't know. Um, it's, I think, interestingly, both myself and Jamie have got a really practical, technical mindset um, and, and sort of look quite logical. Um, whereas when you're having conversations with um, with creatives, then gem- I'm generalizing a little bit here, but yeah. it, it's almost talking a different language. So you need to find ways, I think, to to really appeal to people. And, and slowly but surely, we're starting to see some fantastic examples of, of what can work really well. Mm. Um, and, and working really well in Leeds. So, um, you know, some great stuff that, that I've seen happening with, with Emmerdale, which is filmed on the Hayward Estate. Uh, talking to the Hayward House Trust last, uh, just before Christmas, they've got some great plans for 2022. Uh, I know, Jay, do you want to talk about, um, you, you had a production, didn't you, in mind that was going to be um, made in a sustainable way? Oh, yeah, it's, it's going on stage um, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but that is, again, it's a it's from a recycled set. So it's not really kind of, it doesn't really have sustainable content. I mean, one of the things that we are struggling with as an opera organization is a lot of the operas were written quite a long time ago. Yeah. Um, when people didn't really know that much about climate change. Um, so we are, like we're touring something in the summer, uh, which is a performance called The Water Diviner's Tale, mm. um, which, which was a, it was a new kind of piece of work that was written about climate change. So, uh, but that's with our like uh, education team. But the, I think the one thing that's really, like Phil was saying, it's that the creative and cultural sector has such an important part to play. And I think it is that it's the emotional connection. And I think that's the the language that's often quite, it's, it's missing from the conversation around climate change because it's a lot of, you know, statistics and, you know, modeling and like, oh, you know, we're, we're seeing an increase of, what was it? What is the CO2 concentration now? Like 420 parts per million yeah. or something. You're like, yeah. what, what does that even mean? Whereas, yeah. you know, David, Atten- <laughs> David Attenborough showed a sea turtle with a plastic straw stuck up its nose and plastic straws vanished. Yeah. And like that to me is the power of the arts. And that's the thing that we really need to be exploiting as like, as craven cultural organizations. But how you do that in a way that actually inspires change is i think really it's really difficult to get that right without sounding really preachy <laughs> it's, it's finding that balance isn't it but i think also as well just making sure it's not a uh you know flash in the pan and then it's gone and you move on to the next thing we're going to need this constant drumbeat but yeah um yeah it's quite quite exciting when i, I was uh following the the leeds piano trail that was through various um parts of the city uh, at the back end of last year. And, and one of the ones, uh, one of the pianos that was in the Victoria Quarter had this illuminated uh, version of the, the Ed Hawkins climate stripes that were sort of flashing really oh, yeah. subtle. But actually, it's, it's then in people's mindset. Um, I know there was a, uh, an artist who was based in Leeds who created something really similar, but it was a, a hanging um, sort of architectural installation. And that actually was placed above the delegates at COP26. Yeah, that was somebody from Leeds who created that and it's going to be doing their rounds as well. So again, it's just, um, it, it's some, it can be quite subtle. It doesn't have to be rammed down your throat. It doesn't have to be really techie, science-y, mm. statistical stuff that, that James was talking about either. So I think you can, you can weave it into all sorts um, and do it in a really nice way where you, you just start to normalize good behavior and, and get that, that change in mindset that you were talking about previously. Mm. I think as well, because with, you know, sort of climate stories. I mean, generally they, they tend towards the dystopian, don't they? It's just like, everything's going to be awful. <laughs> it's like, well, 
not everyone wants to come and see that show. Uh, but, you know, th there's got to be a way in for writers to figure out, like, you know, this is a positive climate story. This shows an effect and then a reaction to the effect and then hopefully a positive outcome, something like that. I mean, yeah, we've yet to find the formula for what that would be. <laughs> But it might come about in a more natural way of just as it impacts us, the, these things just seep into the stories that we're telling. So, yeah. I wonder whether, I mean, the story is just the, there's no sort of limit to kind of human ingenuity. And like, this is possibly the biggest challenge we have ever faced as a species, mm. but we can overcome it. Mm. I think that's, and we, and the thing, we, we've made multiple interventions for the climate before and it mm. worked. You know, like we, you know, banning, um, CFCs in the nineties for repairing the ozone layer. Mm. We don't, we've done it like, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it's, if we all kind of come together and take the right action, then it's, it's achievable. And yeah. I think that's one of, that's one of the things that's often quite missing from the climate conversation. And if you're constantly yelling at people about doom and gloom and just saying, ah, oh, your house is going to, your house is going to be on fire and you know, there's going to be no drinking water as true as that may be. How can you then come to be like, well, I'm, well, I'm going to do something about it because you, you, you're just going to be thinking, well, it's, it's all screwed. So I bother. Yeah, but, <laughs> it's hard. But I think, I think that's where you and I are really similar, isn't it, Jamie, where we are, we are really solution focused and we are positive. And I think I would like to think that's pretty much in the DNA of sale as well. So, you know, it's, it's all about redefining the art of the possible and not, not telling people, you know, wagging the finger saying you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that. It's like, well what about this? This is great. You know, this is better. Um, and really highlighting the positives. And, um, yeah, I think, I think that reports through our organization as well. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, so I don't know whether we should keep on with sale or whether I should do my normal stick and, and kind of go into you two guys as, as did your work history and so on. Um, I mean, I think, what, what, what do you guys want to discuss? Let's, let's go from that angle. So what, where would you like to take this next? So do you want to go into kind of like your individual backgrounds and working, or do we want to talk more on sale or how, how do you want to kind of do it? I'll take votes. <laughs> I don't really mind. I, don't I, mind. I, wondered, I wondered if it'd be, I don't know if, it, if it's of any interest to talk about the impacts of COVID. Um, yeah, I mean, I normally, I normally have COVID questions. So, I mean, yeah, it's probably worth us talking about how you coped with that as a, you know, especially as a young organization. Um, I mean, was your immediate thought, well, everything's going online and we're just going to have to train people remotely was like, <laughs> or was it just, oh, what's happening? <laughs> Well, it was really interesting that the, the day that we got incorporated as a kick was the 16th of March, 2020. <laughs> it was literally the day, it was like the day of lockdown or yeah. a few days before lockdown or something. So like, you know, basically <laughs> COVID has been there since the very start in some yeah. way. Um, so yeah, like with a lot of the stuff, um, it was interesting. Like we took all of, we, we did have like steering group meetings and we used to do them in person. And then we took them online and then we were like, why didn't we just do them online to begin with? <laughs> it was really interesting, you know, as a sustainable organization, while we were like trying to pull all these people to the same place at once. But, um, so it's been interesting in that regard in that it's, I think, and, and especially within, within Opera North as well, but it's, it's challenged a lot of kind of things that were just seen as like the done thing. Yeah. 
Um, and the carbon literacy training, so I'd been delivering it for a couple of years prior, but in person, then took it online. And I was like, actually, this is a better way of doing it. Yeah. You know, the way that you can split people up into like different groups and then set them tasks and go, well, you go and talk about this in this group for, you know, and have a good five minutes with just this person just to discuss it. Yeah, it was quite cool in that regard. It, it was, as well. and I think for, I'll, I'll come on to, there's a, a kind of bigger piece to this story, but for, for us as, as sale, that time during lockdown where basically the, somebody pushed a pause button didn't made for a few weeks, it, it really enabled us to have some time to spend dedicated to doing some really great stuff for sale that we've always wanted to do. So, mm. um, you know, making sure our, our social media channels were up and running and, and in really good shape. Um, I, I know Jamie worked on a lot of sort of technical things in the background, um, things like our website, et cetera. Um, so actually, you know, when, when do you ever get that time just spend on something other than what you're actually meant to be doing in the day job, because yeah. uh, the day job was, was put on pause at that point. And uh, to that extent, it was, it was a bit of a blessing. I think it, it really accelerated some of the stuff we wanted to do, didn't yeah. it, Jamie? Um, so that, so that was quite helpful at that. It was quite a good timing for us yeah. as an organization, actually. Uh, well, a bit weirdly, um, even though it was, uh, and content used to be a really challenging set of circumstances yeah. for everyone. Um, but I think the, the other thing for me around sort of the first lockdown was, I think everyone just had that time to take a step back. And I was a lot in the news, wasn't there, about yeah. how sort of nature took back control quite yeah. quickly and it bounced back really quick. Um, you know, there's the, the goats in uh, the village in Wales. There was the uh, Venice canals went really clear, really quickly. Yeah. And I just remember walking, you know, my one hour's exercise a day, which really cheesed my dog off at the time. But um, <laughs> I just remember thinking, you know, the, the air seems clean, it's quiet. Yes. It's more calm, it's peaceful. And I think people took that as, as a real opportunity to take a step back and go, well, actually, what is, what is important in life? You know, and when, when do you ever get a chance to do that? And I've noticed a real mindset shift following on from that first lockdown. Um, I don't know if other people have noticed the same, but um, I think without that, I don't think we'd be quite where we are right now, uh, yeah. which, which is a bit weird, really, when you think about it. But uh, the, the other part to this uh, around the whole sort of issue around COVID is what an inspiration is to how quick we can do things yeah. to make yeah. a problem better. Yeah, you know yeah. we can we can find a vaccine. We can roll it out globally. We can find money to react to things. We can build Nightingale hospitals overnight. Yeah. You know, there are so many positives that you can take in terms of lessons learned from from what's been a pretty horrific situation, yeah. and think, well, okay, how do we tap into that for the climate emergency, and how do we how do we get people to treat it like an emergency as well? So. Um, you know, from a sale perspective, it hasn't been all bad. Um, and I, I sometimes feel a bit bad saying that, but yeah, um, yeah, don't let a good pandemic go to waste, I guess, <laughs> to an extent. But um, right, it's an opportunity of the same word. A, a little, to an extent, um, but, you know, I, 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 I'd say it again, you know, I think we're both really positive people and, you know, you need to be so mindful that actually some people have been through horrific, mm. tragic circumstances and, you need to have that in the back of your mind, but also, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking some positives out of a really bad mm. situation and, and, uh, you know, taking them forward, especially when it's something like what sales trying to do. So mm. trying to feel too bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, yeah, uh, it's, it's fortunate for that organization. And that's something that's, 
needed. Um, like when you were saying about it being quieter and stuff, I mean, I noticed the planes coming back when the planes came back. I noticed the cars coming back. They woke me up one morning and was very angry about that. <laughs> cars? <laughs> and then the planes coming back. Mm. You know, I do miss a lot of lockdown, of, like the quietness and stuff, but yeah, nobody wants to be stuck in the house forever. No, it's not at all. So yeah, they, yeah, there's a there's a happy medium somewhere probably. Yeah. <laughs> I just really missed like I used to go on a like a walk every day around like my local park mm. and just seeing it like change throughout the seasons and stuff. Mm. I'm like, why have I never done this before? This is amazing. Yeah. And yeah, just I guess like Phil was saying, you know, you felt a bit more of a kind of a connection to your local place. Yes. Yeah. Which you which we never would have done otherwise. Yes. I think it was uh, quite powerful, actually. Yeah. It's sort of reinvigorated me to think, what am I, you know, what, what are we doing sale for? Like, and it's, yeah. it's for this, you know? It's, yeah. It's cool. I think it's, it's been kind of, at the time when we went into lockdown, I don't know if you can remember this, but there was loads of ink being spilt about like, oh, how this is going to affect us and this is going to change us and this will do this, that and the other. And, and then as we were coming out of lockdown, none of those stories were around anymore. It was all just, oh, we're all back. <laughs> that never even happened. And it's like, you've got to, you know, you're at the two extremes of the spectrum there. It's, it's not there. It's somewhere in the middle. You know, I do think it has affected everyone. It, how could it not? And it was something that the majority of us went through. You know, you can't say absolutely everyone, but the majority of us. Yeah. yeah. And we don't know how it's going to pan out, like what effects that's going to have yet. But as you say, there seems to be a lot of attitude changes. And the way that people approaching things seems to be a bit different. I think um, barriers, I think some barriers have been broken though. So, you know, this is a great example where we're recording a podcast over Zoom. You know, I've not even heard of Zoom <laughs> pre-lockdown. Some of the, some of the technical solutions that actually we're going to need to adopt um, as, a, as a new business as usual for, to be compliant with, with net zero requirements. Well, you know, this is one of them. Um, I think I always think about this when I'm talking to our ITV teams in different countries. I wonder if, you know, a few years back, I'd, I'd have been expected to get on a plane and go and see them and, and yeah. have those conversations in person. Um, and, th th you know, there is a time and a place where having that human connection is really, really valuable. Yeah. Um, Jamie's example of our, our steering group meeting online, well, you know, maybe once or twice a year, actually, would it be really beneficial for us to meet in person. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, you don't have to do it all the time, every time anymore. Yeah. People don't have to go into the office five days a week, nine to five in the, in the majority, you know, there, there, there are social and physical and, um, I guess mindset barriers, I think have been dropped and, and I think it's here to stay personally. Um, but as long as you can get the balance, right. And you know, like, like you said, you know, who wants to just be sat in their bedroom working from home five days a week. You know, I, I certainly don't. I, mm. I thrive off people's energy at times, but other times actually, you know, it's really good. I don't have that um, sort of hour and a half's commute. Um, me, yeah. Where I just feel like I'm wasting time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's time I can spend with my family or my cocker spaniel, more to the point. Uh, he's very, very happy because <laughs> he's got, he's got a company all day long. But having that work-life balance, I think, is, is, a, is a really good thing. And, you know, as long as we, as long as we don't um, over-egg it either way or, or abuse it either way, I think, you know, I mean, there's a, a balance to be had somewhere. Mm. It's going to be tricky going forward, isn't it? That work-life balance, because, you know, currently I'm, I'm in my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. They're like, where does my work life end and my kind of personal life begin? And I think sometimes, <laughs> you know, it's, there's a bit of a creep, isn't there, of like, 
it's one of, I guess one of the downsides of COVID is that I found that I haven't been able to switch off as much yeah. as I used to. Like there's there's something very finite about walking out the door and be like, I'm going home for the weekend. Yeah. Through this place. <laughs> yeah. 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 You can't really do that now. Well, your workspace and your living space are basically put in the same space. So you, you haven't got that separation. Mm. It does make it difficult. And you, you do have to kind of, you, you have to put barriers in of like, I will finish it there <laughs> and I'll do something else. Or ideally put it in another room if you can, but mm. that's not always practical. How are you making money then? Are you making money off the training, delivery of the training? Or is it all donations or like, how are you making yourself sustainable? Yeah, so um, I think for now, we we were given a, a, a seed corn grant from the council. That that goes on our feet and we'll, I think we'll be forever grateful for that because um, that, that allowed us to do some of the really boring stuff like getting a website host domain and um, paying the legal bills and, and, you know, get bank accounts set up, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that really got us up on our feet. Um, I, mean, I think we were a bit sort of Bambi on ice to start with, but uh, that that really got us to, a, to the next level. I think our challenge now is how do we take it forward again and get to the point where, um, you know, we are sustainable as an organization in our own right. Um, and we are, uh, we're looking to bring in a development worker soon who's going to help us with that. Um, but we'll, I, th- I think we'll diversify our from all over the place. We were, you know, we're really successful with our training project last year. Um, that enabled us to do a lot of other things as well. Um, and, and um, you know, some of that money cascaded through to the local economy. Uh, as I say, we were able to bring in uh, our first employee. We uh, commissioned a couple of videos. So that went up to a, to a new startup um, creative business in, in Leeds, which was really exciting as well. So um, I, think, I think we'll kind of leave no stone unturned. Uh, Jamie's going to laugh now because I've, I've had this idea in the back of my mind for ages, but I, I'm determined at some point in the future to have... Um, a line of beer that that is sale branded, and we've called it Sale Ale. Uh, but you know, <laughs> point, Sale Pale Ale. Sale Pale Ale. We, we narrowed it down, didn't we? But I think we could have a full range at some point. But I guess you know we could look at merchandising. We look and look at sponsorship. At some point, we might want to become a charity, and we can be more sort of donation led. Yeah. Um, we've got conversations with local authority. We've got conversations with national organisations as well. And I think that people understand that it's really hard, isn't it? Because we, we're real sort of subject matter experts, I guess. And we're, mm. we're living in this sustainability net zero bubble where it makes complete sense to us. Mm. We've done a lot of the deep thinking. So I think the challenge for us now, and, and it's a piece of work that we started on last year, is how do we bring some of those really influential key decision makers and supporters on that journey with us mm. so that they are, they are completely behind us? Everyone's saying they're loving what we do. Um, but in order for us to continue to do that and actually help bring about meaningful change, then, you know, we are, we are, he's going to come down to money. Mm. We are going to need some financial backing, mm. but not a huge amount for them. I think, I think we've always punched above our way right from the get go. Mm. Um, and I think that'll carry on. I think we can, we could be really, um, quite, quite, a, an influential organization, uh, for, for not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Wait until it comes back. I <laughs> the question probably there. No, you did. You just <laughs> dropped out just as you'd finished speaking. <laughs> right. Um, so Jamie, from a, from a sort of theatre stagecraft side, um, what are the different issues that you 
you kind of have to contend with. I mean, to some degree, like TV is something that's in your home. You don't have to travel to it. Theatre is something you have to go out to. And, and it's also going through a hell of a lot more difficulties, again, because TV can be produced and then beamed to you. You've got to have live performers in an actual space with a live audience, all of which is transmission risk in the middle of a pandemic. You know, audiences numbers are, are dropping at the moment, but then you've still got to put on shows because you can't be closed down. So if you want to talk about some of the, the theater aspects and the, the particular things that affects the stage side. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you've hit the, the two biggest ones, um, especially for, for us, for Opera North, especially we're a touring organization. So our, by far our biggest carbon footprint is audience travel. Um, which is people coming to us. And it's one of the things that we have the least control over. Yeah. Um, cause we can't really help it. If somebody wants to come and see us from London in their Range Rover, it's like, mm. well, well, great. That's bonds on seats. So there's, there's a very difficult kind of balance to strike there between how do we ensure that we are getting kind of maximum revenue and like we are being open and, you know, inviting to people. But then also, how do we kind of cut down on that massive carbon footprint, which it's basically double our operational carbon footprint is just people coming to see us. It's yeah. colossal. So, I mean, there was a few things that we did. So, I mean, one of the first things was uh, we were actively encouraging our audiences to, to travel to us by car because we do like a car parking scheme where like if you spent over a certain amount we'd give you like a free parking space um so I, I did try and say well can we do something which is of equal monetary value uh, but that didn't pan out it was a shame so what we managed to do is just to get car parking moved later down in the letter when it's like you know you're coming to see us not letter email sorry <laughs> we do try and do it paperless um but yeah we um basically move it further down the list so you know public transport is at the top then you've got things like, you know, taxis and then right at the very bottom is, you know, if you come in by car, this is, this is where the car parking spaces are, but then it's, it's still, it's really tricky. And, um, it's, if someone comes up with some, a, a way of tackling that, I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna make millions. Yeah. So hopefully it's us. Um, and the, the other kind of side of that, as like I said, being like a touring arts organization, um, we we often take like four or five articulate lorries out on tour with us, um, along with all of our kind of cast uh, perform uh, cast crew, the creatives, like all of these people. We, you know, it's a huge operation. We shift like yeah. 120 people from one city to another, um, and then when it comes to sets and technical equipment and that kind of thing, um, there are hydrogen trucks. They're just not here yet. <laughs> so that's it's one of the things that we're like well we know this is such a huge problem but we we don't really have a solution on how to fix this yet because the technology hasn't really hasn't really caught up to us um so it's about reimagining reimagining that kind of element in a different way and be like well how can we tour people more efficiently and um we're going to go see these uh these sets made out of like composite cardboard next week to be like well do we have to take as many trucks with us you know, can we, can we just, instead of taking five, can we take three, you know, how can we pack down equipment so it's more effective and we're just not taking a load, a load of spares along just for yeah. the sake of it. Um, can we encourage, well, during COVID, obviously we couldn't, but could we encourage car sharing? Um, which to be fair, our like orchestra chorus and everything, they're quite good at doing anyway, but is there some sort of incentive that we can offer to kind of reduce that bit? 
and that's, I guess that's one element that maybe sometimes gets a bit overlooked or like people kind of think, oh, well, we're going to have to just like scrap all of our sets and travel on bicycles. You're like, no, <laughs> that's not what we're saying at all. It's actually, you know, it's about reducing and it's about being as efficient as possible. And then whatever you can't do, then that's maybe where offsetting comes in. If, if you genuinely can't do anything about that bit because the technology isn't there or it's cost prohibitive or, or whatever, mm -hmm. then maybe that's an inroad for offsetting. Um, but that's, yeah, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> I wanted to uh, also talk about, so supply chain wise uh, and with um, basically people you're purchasing from as well as people that you're selling to, you... How do you go about things that you can't control? So, you know, the, the easy wins are all the stuff of like, well, we can control this. This is a thing that I can do immediately. This is a thing we can work on to get management to buy into. When it's outside of your control, do you have any like tips or best practice or any lessons from like how you go about approaching that? Are, are there any particular wins that you've had with people, you know, other organizations that you've said, It'd be great if you could do more green stuff this way, or you could do less carbon this way. Um, how's that work? Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> so you, you're kind of talking more there about like scope three emissions. So, so like your scope one is your direct. So that's things like uh, any gas that you burn, like as if I'm giving you carbon electricity training here. <laughs> um, but yeah, if, basically, if you're responsible for the carbon being emitted, then that's in your scope one. Um, scope two is electricity production. Then scope three is kind of everything else. Like how long is a piece of string and what do you want to include and not include? And it, yeah, it gets really hard to try and get a handle on it. And you end up like tying yourself in knots trying to figure out like, you know, take solar panels, for example, you know, at the point of energy generation, there's zero carbon, mm. but then the creation of the solar panels, the transport, the refining of the minerals and like the, the drilling for those like natural resources and everything, you're like, oh my God, they're not zero carbon at all. Yeah. So, um, it's, yeah, it's hard. And I think, <laughs> I guess one of the, one of the main pieces of advice I give is to try and forgive yourself for that and try not to kind of like tie yourself in knots too much and just try and do the best that you can. Yeah and make interventions where you can make them. Because if you worry so much about kind of, you know, I'm not saying like ignore the longer chain, but yeah. like if you, if you try and think about it too much, you'll just end up crying in a corner. Yeah. So just try and like control the things that you can control. And then once you've kind of solved that, then move on to the next thing. Um, so, I mean, I'm trying to give an example. <laughs> I can give bad examples um, of things that we did it's, I mean, it's an interesting Yeah, yeah lessons learned. Bad examples uh, can be good. <laughs> yeah, it, one of the things that we did, um, totally my fault, uh, within within Opera North is, you know, we formed the green team and we're like, right, we're going to take action. What are we going to do? And we're like, down with plastic. And like, brilliant. So we um, we had like a water fountain with these little Type 5 polypropylene plastic cups. Got rid of those, got vegware. Like, brilliant. Made from plants. Fantastic. Um, didn't think about the other end of it and what happens to the waste. So waste also falls within scope three. So type five polypropylene cups, you cut, we, with the waste management contractor we were using at that time, they could recycle them. The vegware, the vegware ones, uh, they went to the recycling plant. They couldn't compost them. So they took them out and they burned them. <laughs> yeah. So like, ah, that was, uh, that was silly. We should have, we should have realized that. Um, but you know, the, it's, 
it's one of the things that again why, why we formed sales so that we can talk about this and like yeah. the, the lessons that we learned and you're not going to get it right first time round, and you will do things that perhaps maybe you shouldn't have done maybe you thought about it but um, we can be that trailblazer in being you know actually think about what it is that you're you're trying to do um, and yeah. and just try and just do just do your best because that's that is all you can do <laughs> yeah I, I think that's the that's the power of something like sale really um, and we can, you know, you can take those lessons and, 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 you know, you, you, we are going to make mistakes and you learn from them and then you share that experience. I'm kind of, I, I want to pull more out of this because I think it, like, I don't know, I, I don't know how useful it would be to go into my normal shtick of trying to do the two of you sort of separately and go through your work history and stuff. So um, we've talked about some of the challenges for sale. We've talked about some of the successes um what else can we kind of touch upon um i mean what what are the kind of discoveries that you're making what are the sort of things that you didn't expect that you've come across like whether that's been something beneficial or it's been something negative um you know maybe you expected huge buy-in from a particular area and they were all like oh we're not interested at all what would have been yeah, it goes through some challenges and successes that we haven't necessarily covered, perhaps. Can we just pause there a second? Yeah. I'm just gonna I'm gonna switch my router because okay. I've moved uh, and I'm still on the old one. So can I get can I just get a, about yep. a minute? Yeah. I'll see you on see you soon. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, I don't want to shortchange you either. I don't want to feel that, you know, we've not gone through what I would normally go through. But I think because we've started with this and because I've got both of you here. It, it it seems logical to stay in this area. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, to where you think would make for a good podcast. It was pretty pretty easy going. <laughs> I'm not sure I know the answer to that yet. <laughs> I've said to other people, it's like I when I get to fifty, then I think I'll know what the show really is. Hmm. Um, so I've got my own ideas of what I want it to be and where I want it to go. But you know, like when you there's a difference between the theory and the practice, isn't there? So oh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that's better. That sounds better. That sounds a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was just saying to Jamie, like, well, I said to you before you went, like, I think we should stay on sale. I, I don't want you to feel shortchanged that we've not been through the normal podcast <laughs> format, but I think as we started on this and I've got both of you together, it's probably the, the best area to stay in. So I would ask, I mean. So I normally have a question on UBI, uh, so universal basic income. So putting that kind of idea to you guys, I mean, what would, what would be helpful to you outside of the work that you're doing in sales? Like what are the kind of wins that you would like to see in the broader society, which obviously there's political risks for that question of how you're answering it, but, um, I mean, is there anything that, for example, something like UBI, would that be a benefit to you? Would that, because to me, I can see the benefits of, well, not everybody has to go out and not everybody has to look for a job and, you know, people have more time to themselves, having more time to yourself and slowing things down, which goes back to lockdown again, to a degree, um, like slowing things, slowing things down and the pace that things happen at would reduce carbon because we're doing less stuff less often. So we're burning less energy kind of makes sense to me. Um, 
So yeah, yeah. I'm going to let you guys chip in. Have you got anything to say on this area? We'll have a get into geopolitical, global. Yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to take that down there too much, but it yeah. always devolves to that when you talk about sustainability. I find, yeah, like, yeah, I've always found that. I mean, uh, I, for me personally, like if uh, if I was given like a, a UBI, then. I think one of the challenges that we've had with sale is that both me and Phil and every, basically everybody who's involved with it was it, yeah, we're all working full time and do this as a sort of passion project. Yeah. So if I was able to shed a bit of kind of a bit of time the, to give give it the time that it deserves, mm. then which luckily we managed to have a bit of during COVID. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah, there'd be there'd be no stopping us. I think. <laughs> I think it, it sort of proved the point though, didn't it, Jamie, where we, we had, I mean, it wasn't that long really either. It was only a, a, a sort of few weeks before we were getting back into planning and, you know, I was thrown into a project to get um, both of ITV's soaps back on air and back filming. Um, and that was really challenging. So it was only a couple of weeks uh, where you just got time to take your foot off the gas from the day job perspective and focus on something you're really passionate about. Um, and we got loads done in a really short period of time. So... Um, you know, I think that's a, it's a great answer from, from Jamie there. And I think, I think a lot of other people would probably feel the same. And if you had that opportunity, it's a really interesting question. If you had that opportunity to have, you know, so many hours or even a day a week or whatever mm. to do something you actually really care about, you know, I'd, I'd be really fascinated to see what people actually did with that time. Um, yeah, cause I know what, what I found really interesting during the first lockdown was how people turned to the, to the arts and to creativity, you know, people were dancing on TikTok, they were painting, they were singing, they were playing instruments, they were learning this, that, and the other. Um, and, and that really kept people going. I found it fascinating that people turned to sort of creative and cultural type, um, activities. I, th I thought it was really interesting, but also that whole piece that I talked about previously about, um, maybe people having a bit of a rethink about what's important to them. And a lot of people have actually ended up going, well, actually climate change is really important, obviously. I just haven't had real time to sit back and think about it. Mm. Um, so I'd be really interested to see if those two things were, um, uh, were, were, were things that were really popular. I don't know. Maybe we'll get a ch chance to find out one day. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to get, I, I'm, I don't want to go too far into a discussion about, you know, sort of media and news. Um, but it's hard to get a real sense of what actually is going on because it's so much noise now and so little signal, you know, it, it, like, doesn't matter what your search, you know, what your search terms are. I think, you know, whatever bubble you're falling into, you're getting so much noise in there and so much competition to, for your attention and to be dragged down various rabbit holes that it is really difficult to get a sense of what actually is going on. You know, you, you look in the TV and it's explosions and chaos and screaming and you look out your window and it's like, it stops snowing. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, have you, so it's sustainable arts in Leeds. You're working in media, Phil, and you're working in ITV. I, I mean, the, is the news side completely separate? I mean, is there any consideration? Because it's still media, it's a hard one to answer this because it's like, is it art or is it media and what's the difference? Like, have you thought about taking this into newsrooms and, and so on? Would, would that have, would there be any possibility of that? I mean, maybe, you know, just from the production side and then maybe that could bleed into the, 
you know what they're producing you know yeah it's really interesting yeah yeah it's a, it's a really valid point Simon and uh, I've probably answered it with with sort of ITV and sale perspectives if, uh, if that's okay so from a from a, a sale perspective we've been really keen because we are so small and so lean at the minute we, we don't want to sort of um, find ourselves going beyond our mission. So we've been yeah. really clear about you know who are our potential members, yeah. what is the network, what is the sector, and defining it in that way. Yeah. And we did draw the line um, and sort of excluded certain elements, uh, probably more sort of down the media route, um, and and that's why we've ended up calling it creative and cultural. Yeah. Um, because I, I think that there's only a we had to just draw the line somewhere, otherwise you just keep going and going. You know, we yeah. talked a lot about. Talked a lot about news, printing, mm. uh, sport, even uh, food and drink. You know, it's like, where do you stop? And, and so for now, because of the size of us and, and what we're able to influence and, and also how, you know, people like the council and various other national organizations and funding streams are, are set up to support. It makes a lot of sense for us to, to kind of draw the line there. Yeah. You know, we we do we do do interviews. We do you know we're doing a media interview right now. We have done Yorkshire Post, you know, and, and we'll continue to do things like that. And so, you know, where we can influence news, we will do. Uh, I like to think it's a good news story. It's a good yeah, thing that we're yeah. doing, um, and I would hope that that comes through in in the various bits of media that we do do. Uh, from an ITV perspective, obviously, we, we've got quite a lot of news output and, and regional programs as well. Um, and I, I think the TV industry is really blessed because we've had um, we've had a system around for a long time and a, an organisation around for a long time called Albert. Yeah. Um, and they are the you know the, the sort of the the evident um, authority on sustainable TV production. But that again that came from a real sort of production focused background previously. Yeah. You then start to get into the realms of creative and editorial, and and I think that you could take that and apply that to news as as much as any genre of tv mm. um and film and you know when, again where do you stop any as far as i'm concerned anyone who's pointing a camera at something and showing it on a screen is yeah. he's pretty much doing the same thing you know it doesn't yeah. matter if you're a, an, an emmerdale or a youtube clip or, or itn or whatever um you know we've all got a lot of things in common so i think from a uh, an operational the sort of production perspective Absolutely, yeah. We we talk to the news teams all the time. Different part of the ITV business, but we talk all the time and, and we share best practice and we bounce ideas off each other um, and learn from each other. A great example is um, we're talking about how we electrify our, our fleet of vehicles at the minute. So I'm doing a lot of work for, for our studios, production companies, but also sharing that information and having the same conversations at the same time with our news teams. Mm. Um, other things like cloud-based technology for editing, for example. You know that that started out as a, uh, an idea and a concept from the news teams, and that's been adopted by studios. So, from a, an operational perspective, there's already a lot of commonality and a lot of sharing of and collaboration uh, on working towards best practice, which is which is really exciting. From an editorial perspective, it's really really fascinating is that conversation with the news teams because they they have to maintain their independence in order to maintain their credibility, mm. and I think that the journey that that news teams have been on over the past few years is a really interesting one because you, you did have the climate deniers. You did have people who were debunking climate science. And so they had to have this impartial, balanced discussion on, on, the, on the news. You, know, you had to say, okay, here's the science. Uh, here's what the scientists are telling us, but actually here's whoever saying, no, we need, we need coal for, <laughs> for jobs. Or, you know, they had to show that balanced argument. And I think 
so very slowly but surely that that message and that um understanding of of what's going on is starting to shift um, which is really uh exciting but also long long overdue um for what you know i think there's there's you can make your own mind up as to why that has been um but you know there, there was reasons for it and really really good passionate uh skillful um professional people that were doing the right thing uh, mm. as, as far as they were aware mm. um and so you can't you can't sort of hold their feet to the flames too much on it um as long as we we, we continue to go on that journey and, and do the right things going forward mm. it's an interesting one i don't know if anyone's seen don't look up i haven't uh, watched it yet i've heard uh, about it. it is fascinating i'd encourage anyone listening to this podcast to, to take a look at it um it's it's not directly about climate change, but you can take the comma out and put climate change in uh, yeah. perfectly. <laughs> uh, and, the, and the frustrations that uh, you can kind of see how it's happened and where we're at as a society right now. Uh, but yeah, fun to, uh, it's on my uh, recommendation list for anyone and everyone. Well, you can kind of, I, I mean, going back to the lockdown again, I mean, it's, it's that it can't be done. It can't be done. Oh, we've done it. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, we're not locking down. Oh, well, we might lock down. Everyone's asking us to lock down. We're going to have to lock down. We've locked down. And then it's like, well, everyone stay at home. Oh, no, everyone. No, because that won't work. Okay, you go into work and you, I'm not sure about you. You know, like there's so much to work out that you can't just, because even then you, you've got this covered. You've thought about this. There's always something you've not so, thought about or something that you've missed or, you know, because there's so many variables you can't. You just can't organize for all of that. So um, it was interesting during COVID, like we, we weren't really given a choice. It's just, you've, you've got to figure it out. And, yeah. then, and I think one of the things as a, as a species, we're really bad at thinking about things that are quite are, are coming. Yeah. You know, I think if we'd have, well, I think that there was an element of the, the World Health Organization saying there is a pandemic coming. So you need to be prepared mm. and we weren't prepared mm. and now scientists are saying, well, you know, we we're heading to a point now where we're heading for, you know, two, three, four degrees of warming. So you need to prepare. And it's just, I just wonder whether we're going to get to that 1.5 degree point point. like, oh, now we have to do something. <laughs> and I just, and it's, I don't know, we, we just seem so bad at doing that. And there just, there needs to be a, a shift in the conversation saying it is not optional now and i mean saying there's no money for it is not an excuse mm. it just has to happen mm. so do it <laughs> and ugh, i don't know but i think the, i think the, the conversation though about sort of finance and financing the the shift to net zero i think that that conversation has shifted so far and so fast mm. in in a really short period of time where you know you're talking about you know anyone investing in in coal now you know that's a bad bet that's a mm. bad investment um, and likewise, you've got people who have been successfully voted onto the boards of fossil fuel companies uh, who are actual climate activists. Uh, you know, and and then you've got big organisations like BlackRock. There's a lot of work around pension investments, mm. um, and a lot of a lot of financial calculations that are saying, you know, if you if you think the cost of net zero is bad, well, mitigation and an adaptation for a you know a two to four degree warmed mm. world. Mm. It's phenomenally more expensive, and I think slowly but surely, and, and it's a bit sad, really, as a as a sort of state of play where we're at right now. That it's probably going to be the money side of things that actually is the trigger for for change. Oh, um, 
So what, what the end goal looks like, nobody knows. But in terms of accelerating progress, I think that the, the whole financial system, uh, sort of conversation has shifted massively. And I think that, you know, you've got to take that as a good thing. You know, whatever the, the, the big sort of macro picture of that looks like and whether it's the right thing to do, then, um, you know, we could discuss that once we've saved the world, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> How much time do you generally get to be able to devote to sale then? Is it like just a couple of hours a week or is it just whenever you can get together or do you have a this time, we have this time every week? Like how are you working at the moment? It, I think it's fair to say peaks and troughs, isn't it, Jamie? And, and we try and balance out where, you know, if I know Jamie's particularly busy, I'll take things off him and, and vice versa. And, and we, we make it work. Um, and we, we do have some people who, who are happy to roll their sleeves up as well and help out. Obviously, we've, um, we've got Helen, who's our project coordinator, who we've got on our books at the minute, who's been an absolute godsend because she's got that time. And it's something we've never really been able to do is actually go out and engage with our members properly, one-to-one -one almost, and, and go and have those conversations. So that's, A, it's raised our profile, but B, it's making people have sale in their mindset when they're talking about sustainability and, and the conversations that are coming from that's really exciting. Mm. Um, and then we have set times, I, well, the way I like to work, you know, I've got set things in the diary. So I have a, you know, a half hour catch up with, with Helen once a week. Um, if we have anything from a company perspective, then, you know, there's a current board of, of three board members uh, where we, you know, we've got certain things that we need to have in the diary uh, on a regular basis. But from my perspective, you know, I, I fit things in and around uh, everything else that we've got going on, and which is a bit frustrating at, at times, but also quite fulfilling. Mm. And, you know, other times it's evenings, weekends. Yeah. Uh, whilst, whilst you're out walking the dog and kind of never switching off from it really. But I think what, what I'm finding now is it's an absolute blessing that my day job is aligned with my hobby, if you like, my, yeah. my sort of passion project in that my mindset is always aligned, uh, yeah. albeit on different scales. So I've got yeah. you know a day job that's at a global scale and then I've got the, the sales side of things that's local grassroots. But that's a, that's a brilliant perspective to have at times and, and and it's really helpful to not forget either side of it yeah uh, and to take inspiration from both ends of the spectrum as well um so yeah it's it's a frustration at times for me i don't know about you jamie no i'm the same like yeah i try and find time for sale in and around to either the stuff that i'm doing at the time but similarly like my kind of my day job is aligned with with my passion project so mm. And my, yeah, my boss is quite happy because it, you know, makes up and look good. <laughs> so he's quite happy to like, just, yeah, just spend as much time on it as you yeah, want. Give you the normal work gets done. So it's, it, yeah, it's cool to kind of have that support. I just wish I had more time for it. Yeah. Just like to get both of your thoughts on this. So I do think that it's important that you are both working and you're both in the industry and, and you're doing this because if you ended up doing sale full time, that the actual practical day-to-day -day work experience, it'd still be there. The knowledge would be there, but it'd start to fade, you know, and like, you're not up to current events. And so uh, what are your feelings on, would you, do you think you'd be better off working on sale full time? Or do you think you've got the balance right at the moment? Like what, what are your thoughts? I think, I think for me, I, I feel like I've got, I feel like I've got the balance about right at the minute. And, and I say that because I think that it's so fast paced, the, the amount of change that's going on and the, and the thinking and the, the opportunities, the solutions, et cetera. So for me to, to be able to take that experience and, and share it with the sale network is, mm. 
really, really important. Yeah, it, it's a difficult one. I was having a conversation with someone about this earlier this week where, you know, at times you just think, oh, I'll just jack it all in and, and run sale for a living. And, mm. and that would be really exciting as well. But you, you need to be able, it's almost like having your own consultancy uh, free of charge as well, uh, which is quite useful. But I think there are ways of keeping your finger on the pulse, even if you're completely embedded yeah. with, within and doing that as your day job potentially. So um, again, I think that's where the power of the network and, and also this idea of having a network of networks all around the country, you're just constantly sharing that information. So, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think having people who are just primarily running sale would devalue what they're doing just because they're not operational at the time, because it's the power of the network is through the contacts that you've got. Otherwise, you know, it just doesn't exist without it. Yeah. Um, and, and your own personal experience is only a, a small fraction of that. What you're actually doing is, is lifting experience and taking inspiration from all sorts of different places and different sectors as well. You know, we, we're, we're both part of, well, Jamie's part of the Leeds Climate Commission. I sit on the Yorkshire and Humber Climate Commission. Mm. And that's from everyone from all sorts of different walks of life and different sectors. And you, you're just constantly taking inspiration. It's going to sound quite ironic and it, it is not meant to be, but I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> You'll be pleased to hear. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, some of those are, are absolutely fascinating. And that's things that are happening in different countries, different sectors, yeah. different, completely different people you would never normally sort of cross swords with or, or deal with in your, in your day job. So yeah, I don't, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that. It's, mm. it's a good question, but, um, yeah, I think I, I personally, I'd be happy either way. I feel yeah. really blessed that, um, I, I'm able to merge the two at the minute, but who knows, who knows what's going to happen around the corner. Well, exactly. <laughs> Amy? Well, Phil said, like, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> yeah, like I'd be, like I'd be happy either way. Uh, yeah. And I, I think it would be really good. Like with, you know, if I had more time to spend with sale, to be able to really dig into the kind of the, the richness of what's going on in Leeds. Mm. And I think really sometimes we only ever scratch the surface just by the, just the amount of time that we have to dedicate to it. But there's so many amazing people working on so many amazing things. And I just think it would be incredible to be more immersed in that. Mm. Um, yeah, it'd make it feel a little less doom and gloom. <laughs> Anything. <laughs> do you do any end of year reports or anything? Is there like, you know, sales first year and what we've achieved and stuff? I didn't, I didn't notice it on the website. Is that? Yeah, we, we did our first one last year, didn't we? Right. Was it around April time-ish? Yeah, we'll probably due to do another one, but it's, it's on company's house because we had to submit oh, okay. I could have sworn to put it on the website. Maybe I didn't. No, I don't, but I, I was looking on my phone, so maybe I just didn't notice <laughs> that. It might be in the members area potentially. I don't know, but possibly. Uh, yeah. So we, we do a, an end of year report for for the council as well obviously they've they've supported us financially uh and i, re I remember it clear as a bell last year how proud we were when we pulled that together going oh my god you know look, look what we've done in such yeah. a short period of time i think it's really exciting um so yeah i'd be fascinated to see what that looks like for 2021's report looking back over the last year uh, and i know through our social media channels uh, we were looking at doing a, a kind of 12 days of Christmas type of sign off uh, for our newsletter. And some of the things that we pulled from that were, were I, I think, really incredible, really. I mean, I've talked about us punching above our weight and, you know, it, it's quite, I feel it's quite a high return on investment for, for every pound we spend while we've actually got back from that. And the connections we've made, the people we've met, the conversations we've had. Uh, the support we've got and, and just the, the willingness of people to want to do better and do more. Mm. 
I think uh, big it, appetite for it. Absolutely huge appetite and mm. absolutely Simon. Um and you know that that gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um so yeah, now we'll we'll be starting to look at our twenty twenty one report soon, but I think you check out our Twitter account. Uh okay. Leeds Leeds underscore uh, sorry, sale underscore leads. Uh our twelve days of Christmas and you it gives you a bit of a flavour of what we've achieved over the past twelve months and long may it continue. Excellent. Okay, so I have got one other area of questioning. So um it's Brexit, uh, but I I don't know like if at all this is this is affecting you or the work that you're doing with sale, and the only way that I can think that it might affect it is possibly in some supply areas, possibly staffing areas, um, but anything else. So, is is Brexit even a factor for you guys at the moment? Is it something that you've come across or had to consider as yet? It's tricky it, because COVID and Brexit kind of happen yeah. at the same time. It's sometimes hard to kind of pick apart which one is the fault of which. Yeah. <laughs> so we're obviously facing like um, like supply chain issues and some yeah some issues with staffing, but that has but it could, it could be either, and sometimes it's both. Mm -hmm. So it's it's been quite hard to to pick apart which which one has been the bigger problem. Really, yeah. I don't. Know, what do you think, Phil? I, th I think it, I, I did completely agree. It's really hard to say w which is causing what problems. So, you know, obviously we're heading towards uh, a period of inflation, which is going to impact, you know, th there is no money in our sector. Uh, it's a fact. Yeah. So people are going to have to make tough decisions at, at various points. And what, what my, I guess my fear is that that could uh, sort of ripple through to people's appetite to spend a bit more money on, on green solutions or investing in, things that in the long term will, will pay dividends but in the, you, you, you get into a point of short-termism if you're not careful so it, it, it's it's going to be a challenge but also that you know the, the i think the potential sub part of brexit for our sector is is losing that wealth of sort of diverse talent and mm. uh the the amazing people that you deal with uh, on the day-to-day -day basis you know if they if they are restricted in their uh, ability to come and work in in our country and in our city then that that's not in my personal opinion, that's not a good thing. Mm. Um, but I think we're just too early. You know, we're not out of COVID and we haven't really settled on what Brexit Britain looks like, um, mm. irrespective of my own personal opinions of, of, the, of the topic. So, yeah, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see and, and ride it out and, and make the, the best of the situation we're in. Mm. I mean, just on this, because I knew we wouldn't spend too long on this one, with the equality a diversity and inclusion sort of agenda and especially that's like i mean it's it's big in the corporate world at the moment from the looks of linkedin <laughs> um it's big in the media from what i've seen on some of the media stuff does that pick up any of the slack from you know that diversity loss through brexit do you think or could it you know like trying to make trying to diversify the existing workforce is that are you seeing much of that work going on or is that having any success or? Yeah, I, I think similar to, similar to sustainability, it's, it's something that people are, are far more acutely aware of than they ever have been before. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's going to take time for that to actually, you know, come, come to yeah, fruition through, and, yeah. and to get to a point where I guess where I keep coming to in my mindset is what, what we're actually trying to do is create a new business as usual. I'd actually like the phrase business as usual because we should never stand still. We should always try and progress things and, and improve what we're doing. But, you know, if we're, we're talking about wholesale systemic change that has potentially caused barriers in mm. the past, then 
know, that's not going to change overnight. Um, and it's fantastic that, that it's right up there as a, as a top agenda item. And, and it's been a long time coming and far too long to be part of the agenda as well. But in terms of us being, you know, a, a sustainable, uh, sector in, in the broadest sense, I'm not just talking about environmental, then, you know, we, we need to find a balance of all of these things and finance as well. You know, how do we, how do we make sure that we are, a, you know, a financially sustainable sector as well? Mm. Uh, diversity, inclusion, uh, environment, sustainability, et cetera, all needs to be part of that. And sustainability for, you know, for your employees. I mean, like I w I'm sure TV's similar to theater in terms of casual staff, short-term contracts, uh, you know, zero hours contracts, like people coming in, coming out, people having to find work and, you know, there's always people moving around and it's not always easy to kind of, oh, well, I can get a mortgage based on this job. And just, it's not just with the whole sustainability agenda. It's not just about making your business sustainable, like the organization, the bricks and mortar and the idea and the brand, it's, it's the people as well. And, and then training, like both your industries require heavy amounts of training and development and increases in skill and craft and knowledge and yeah, there's a lot of things to deal with. There, there is, yeah. No, yes, I think, um, you know, Pete, Pete the transitional uh, element of the, for the freelance community for, for theatre as well as TV, actually, but it's a really interesting time right now because there is so much production going on in the UK that actually there's a massive shortfall of talent mm. that's been exacerbated by COVID. And, you know, some people have just gone, do you know what, I'm, I'm done, I'm burnt out, don't want yeah. this anymore. Yeah. I'm going to focus time on my family. I want to get into sustainability. I've heard a few times as well. Um, so Pete, you've got that, that blend of a huge increase in demand, but also a shortfall in supply for, for various reasons. Mm. Uh, and again, it's going to take a little while to sort that out. I think, um, I'm not sure if people, I don't know if you've seen any of this, Jamie, where people from the, the sort of performing arts theater sector are transitioning into film and television, but, um, a, a huge part of it kind of victims of our own success because of the incentives that are there for high-end drama especially uh, as well as other things mean that the amount of production in the uk at the minute is, is astronomical and that's put all of the all of the balls are very much in the in the cruise court not in the productions court so um you know the the plus side to that is that you are seeing rates of pay increase um but the downside is that yeah you you've not really got that uh, stability but it is what it is, unfortunately, you know, yeah. it's just kind of the, the nature of the beast. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really buoyant time if you're a crew member. So, mm. you know, make hay while the sun shines, I guess, to an extent, <laughs> um, but it's a really, really fascinating time right now for, for the sector, for sure. Jamie, have you anything to add to that? Yeah, it's, it's obviously interesting for us because film and TV keep stealing all our crew. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, yeah, that there's interesting that sustainability means so many different things and it, it is about you know reducing your carbon footprint your kind of your environmental responsibility but as phil was saying you know it's about financial stability and like you were saying time around your you know the stability of your staff and the sustainability of you as an organization to carry on um so it's definitely something i'd, I'd love us to start looking at in the future but it's so complex and like yeah. so many things kind of feed into each other and 
you know, around um, like equality, diversity and inclusion has very kind of strong commonalities between the the people who are most affected by the climate crisis, for example. Mm. You know, the, um, the people of colour and people on um, like lower, uh, lower socioeconomic background, like who don't earn as much, are going to be more impacted by climate change. So if you tackle both of those things and appreciate the kind of intersectionality between the two issues, then you are going to become more sustainable as an organization. That is so hard. <laughs> it's, um, not to say that we should try though. And, you know, we've all got our part to play. So yeah. All, all very much interwoven though, aren't they? And that's yeah. becoming more and more obvious. But again, you know, it's similar to, to the environmental net zero sustainability uh, agenda where people are learning all the time and it's quite a fast paced sort of body of work that's going on and you know, we will make mistakes and you learn from them and, and take things forward again. But you know, you know, when you don't make those links for ages and, and this was one that occurred to me the other day, you know, when you think about like the battle against tobacco and I'm saying this as someone who smokes, uh, but you know, like they've, so they found out in like the sixties that it kills you and that they had the evidence and it was hidden and then, then really i don't think until it was like those class action lawsuits in the us in the back end of the 80s and the payouts that they had to make and then you got the advertising bans and like it's taken forever to deal with tobacco and they had a similar thing as well of like paying people for denial and this that and the other i think that you know because i've lived with climate change or the knowledge of climate change for the majority of my life and i've lived with sort of no one's going to do anything about this through most of my life as well and i think sometimes it's easy to forget of you know there's there's seven and a half billion people that we need to tell about this and involve them it's going to take some time to do that even with you know lightning fast internet connections and so on so yeah it's you know you you're doing the good work and you're getting somewhere and you're making a difference and that's that's all you can do really isn't it at the end of the day you know to to actually do something you know be proactive that's the, the, i get an overwhelming sense of of feedback from people saying you know it, it's almost like uh people have been waiting for leadership and yeah. i think if the likes of sale and opera for night if it can provide that as a like a beacon of light and a beacon of hope then people will follow it. You know, there, there will, there will, there, there's a willingness there, an appetite there. Um, I think we could address the knowledge gap so people really understand. So, you know, Jamie's example that he gave about choosing the wrong cuts. Yeah, mm. mistakes will happen. That's fine. Um, but I think the more people are sort of educated and knowledgeable about the subject, um, and and we need to make sure that that education and knowledge is accessible for people right across the world. I'm talking sort of global stuff here, but. The more people that, that know the issues, the more likely you are to have that shift in mindset mm. in societies. Um, and, you know, governments and organizations and corporations, they, they, they're going to have to react to that because, mm. you know, that, that's how the world works. So, mm. yeah, I think when you, when you see little you know, rays of light like that shining through at times, then it gives you, it gives you hope. Mm. Okay. Jamie, anything to add? Well, it's just uh, going back to that point of, um, you know, again, where the creative and cultural sector come in and you said there, you know, there's seven and a half billion people on earth that we need to tell about climate change. And well, I don't know, between the sale organizations, I think we could probably reach a good few million of them, you know, yeah. the TV film, like, you know, we're, we're very small fry. We only reach 150,000 a year, but I mean, between us, and I, I think this is where the creative and cultural sector really come in and like, you know, we, 
we have a reach that scientists could only dream of mm. and a captive audience where we can beam climate messages into people's brains. And, you know, we're very, very good at storytelling. So that we have such a huge part to play and it's how, how we unlock that. And I think that's, you know, again, one of the things that we need to be working on our sale is to encourage arts organizations to be that kind of authority. Well, they're not authority, but kind of speak from a place of, of knowledge yeah. about climate change and try and influence their audiences to, to do the, do the right thing essentially. Yeah, without being preachy. Yeah. yeah. And that's the hard bit. <laughs> <laughs> but having said that, I think that, I think it's a really exciting opportunity though, because, you know, my experience of, of virtually everyone you, you ever cross paths with in, in our sector is that you're full of some of the most creative minds out there. And actually a lot of people who work in the sector are, are, are just natural problem solvers as well. You know, really uh, sort of quite innovative thinkers as well. So you've got that really nice blend of sort of creative and problem solving. Then that's really what we're after. Uh, mm. I think David Attenborough said it recently where he said, you know, the, the science is undeniable. The, the challenge of climate change now is, is a communications challenge. And yeah. Like Jamie says, you know, that's what we're geared up to do as a sector. That's what we do for a day job. So how do we harness that? And I think that's the next challenge for us. What's your next challenge then, Needs? Why not come on working hours and tell me? Thank you again to both Jamie and Phil for being my guests. Thanks as ever to all my guests and thanks to you, Bugalugs. That's Yorkshire for big ears for any non-Yorkie listeners out there. Uh, thanks to you most of all for listening to this. Follow this show on Twitter at Working Hours 3 and on Instagram at Working Hours Pod Leads to find out who and to know when episodes are being released. I will get better at notifying you of that. I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Simon hyphen treen or you can go to the company page, uh, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Western hyphen studios. Western studios are on Facebookie too, as am I, if anyone who listens to this still goes there at all. Western Studios, by the way, is my podcast company. If you want to make a podcast in Leeds, whether it's for a cause, a publicity campaign, a product promotion, or your own passion projects, then get in touch with me for support, advice, and guidance on it. You can speak with a real lawyer who is actually in Leeds that you can actually work with on making podcast content rather than wading through articles and videos and podcasts about podcasts. Western Studios can take on your podcast admin, recording, editing, transcription, whatever. Got an inkling that you'd like a podcast but don't know where to go from there? Hit me up at makemypodcast at western-studios.com and let's make your podcast. Save the hassle, save the headache and make your podcast with a Leeds-based in real life podcast producer. Once again, you could be the belle of my ball and join my Patreon to support Working Hours. Go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod right now and sign up to help me get 1,000 loiners on working hours. If I get two more Patreons, then I pinky promise I'll start putting more info up there about the show on the rake.